0: Father, we do ask for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit, and we don't take this for granted. Lord, we realize it would be easier to slip into just going through the motions and just hear words from a human. Lord, we ask that you do a supernatural work right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I just yield myself to you, Lord. Cleanse me, overcome everything in me and about me that would hinder your word and speak the truth. We need to hear your voice, Lord, And Lord, we pray that you plant your word deep in our hearts and change our lives now for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray, amen. Well, we've been doing this series on the devotional life, and we've been talking about how important it is that every Christian have a time every day where they connect with Christ, they commune with him, and then they walk that out by talking to Him and listening to Him throughout the day. Now, So far, we've been focusing mostly on our talking to Him. We talked about the importance of worship in our devotional life and how we, we talked about the why and the how of worship. And we talked also about the why and the how of devotional prayer. And that focus has been mostly about us talking to Him. And now we are starting to focus on Him talking to us, and the primary way that he does this is through his word, his written word. And last week, Jerry Bates began our study on that important devotional aspect of being able to be those who know how to read the word, how to study the word, and I want to elaborate this morning on how important it is that we meditate on the word if we're going to have really transformed lives. You know, many people don't know it, but the Bible is the most remarkable book that's ever been written. In fact, the word Bible comes from a Greek term meaning, who knows what? Many books. That's what the word Bible means. See, our Bible is in fact a library. It is a library of 66 books that are bound together into one remarkable volume. This book was written by at least how many authors? Forty authors. Sixty-six books, but you catch up with us. Forty authors from several different countries over a period of 1,500 years. The writers came from a wide range of personalities Occupation, there were prophets and shepherds and fishermen and kings and peasants and explorers and builders and soldiers and scribes and theologians and poets and priests. Yet despite the enormous diversity of these writers, the Bible has a unity of subject, structure, and spirit that's unparalleled in all of literature. The Bible is the most widely translated and circulated and read book in the history of the world. And though it's centuries old, the Bible is still, as we would attest to, relevant today. In fact, its quotations, its motifs are found in literature, in oratory, in art, in music, politics, law, and ethics. Its influence is just inescapable. And it's transformed hundreds of millions of lives. But what I want us to think about this morning is, what is it really? And what makes it so special? And what is it really able to do? What does it have the power to do? And what difference should it be making in my life? Okay, so now I'm going to go over several, there's going to be several slides up here and it's probably going to go faster, and most of you who are taking notes can write, but you can go to gracearlington.com and get the whole PowerPoint, get the notes. So, so please don't be frustrated, but I want you to get it all at once. So I'm going to give you a lot at once because I want you to get it all at once. Start off with this. What is the Bible? The Bible is, first of all, God-breathed writings. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 I'm sorry, verse, yeah, verse 15 to 16, no, 16 to 17. All scripture is inspired by God. That means God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So we're saying that we understand this book that says of itself, and Jesus says of it, the only one who's ever risen from the dead, so whatever he says since he proved himself to be God by the resurrection, whatever he says must be true. But the Bible speaks of itself as being the inspired word of God, God breathed. Okay, but part B is by spirit-moved writers. So the Bible has been says God breathed, but through these spirit-moved writers. 2 Peter 1.20 and 21 says, but know this, first of all, That no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So you have God breathed, God inspired, and God moved these writers to write the Scriptures. Let me give you a definition of inspiration. And it's going to be up here in the screen, and it's a little bit long, but it includes all the important parts. I think it's the best definition that I know of for inspiration of the Scriptures. Let's read it. It says, Inspiration is the supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit, who, through the different personalities and literary styles of the chosen human authors invested the very words of the original 66 books of Holy Scripture alone and in their entirety as the very word of God without error in all that they teach and is thereby the infallible rule and final authority for faith and practice of all believers. That's good, isn't it? And it's real important that we we understand what we have there in our hands when we think about the Bible. But also, there's more. The Bible is the truth. John 17, 17. Jesus, in his prayer to his heavenly Father, says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it is true in everything that it teaches, it is also trustworthy. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every word of God is tested and been proven to be trustworthy. It is also reliable. Matthew 26, verse 54. Jesus says, And how then will the Scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? Whatever the Scripture says will happen, must happen. It's reliable. It is also perfect. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word of God is also priceless. Psalm 19, verse 10 and 11 says they, talking about the commandments of the Lord, the word of God, are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Also, one more thing. It is, the word of God is imperishable. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. I came across uh, this paragraph in the front of an old family Bible. And I thought it was so good that I made a copy of it. And I want you just to listen to it because it really summarizes what we have in our Bible. It says this. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven open, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor and condemns all who trifle with its holy content. This volume is the Word of God. Isn't that awesome? The Bible is the inspired Word of God. That's what it is. Now, let's consider what it has. First of all, the Bible has authority. Matthew chapter 4, we have Jesus being tempted by the devil, devil in the wilderness. And Jesus responded to the devil with the authority of the written word of God. Matthew 4.4, 4, as the devil's tempting Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew 4.4, 4, He answered and said to him, it is written, because he has authority. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil comes at him again with another temptation. Jesus responds with the authority of the word of God. Verse 7 of Matthew 4, Jesus said to to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil comes with one more temptation, Jesus responds again with the authority of the word of God. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written. You shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So it has authority. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It is authoritative. But it also not only has authority, it has power. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jeremiah 23, 29. I love this. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord. It's like a hammer which shatters a rock. Amen. It is powerful. Oh, I was sharing the gospel with a philosophy professor one time many years ago. I was fairly young in my faith, and I had a gospel track. And I'm talking to him, and he's toying with me with all these philosophical smoke screens and and you know tangents and all this. And I said, "Just let me get through this track, okay? Let's just go through the track and then ask your questions." And uh, so I'm going through the track, and. And I got through it and I said, now there's a prayer you can pray to ask Jesus, receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Do you want to pray that prayer? And I'm thinking he's about to laugh at me. And he gets real quiet and says, yes, as a matter of fact, I would. Well, What just happened? The word of God is moving powerfully, you know, and accomplishing that which it's sent to accomplish. It's powerful. So that's what it is. It is inspired Word of God. We saw that. What it has, it has authority and power. Now, what it does. Let's see what it does. Okay, the Bible will, first of all, save the lost. The Word of God saves the lost, the gospel. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Also, the word of God will grow the saved. First Peter 2, 2 says like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. There is no spiritual growth apart from the word of God. There's no spiritual growth apart from the word of God. Even if, if someone's growing, if they don't have the... you know, the the written word in their hand, then if they're growing, they've got the word of God they've meditated on, they're going back over in their minds because there is no spiritual growth apart from the word of God. So it saves the lost, it grows the saved. Also, it protects against sin. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. It also will cleanse the sinner. John 15, 3, Jesus says this to his disciples. You are already clean because of the word. This is the word of Christ, which I have spoken to you. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to his father and he says, Sanctify them, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Also, the word of God gives us guidance. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God gives us insight. Psalm 119, verse 99. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies, your word, are my meditation. The word of God gives us understanding. Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. The Word of God gives us love in our hearts. First Timothy 1 5, but the goal of our instruction from the Word of God, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. The Word of God also gives us joy in our souls. Jeremiah 15:16. Jeremiah the prophet says, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me, listen to this, your words. Became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. The word of God also gives us peace in our minds. Psalm 119, verse 165. Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. The word of God also gives us hope to endure. Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times, talking about the scriptures, was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we've seen what the Bible is. We've seen what the Bible has. We see just now what the Bible does. Now I want to tell you what cannot happen to the Word of God. Okay? The Word of God cannot be broken. John 10, 35 says very clearly, the scriptures, Jesus says, cannot be broken. And the word of God cannot be stopped. Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke, Shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whatever the Bible says will happen must happen. It cannot be stopped. The Word of God cannot be broken, it cannot be stopped. And thirdly, it cannot be an error. Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken not understanding the Scriptures nor the power of God. See, if they had understood the Scriptures, they wouldn't be mistaken. Because they're not in error. They're never in error. And the word of God cannot fail. Isaiah 55 verse 11. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. That's what God is talking here. When his word goes forth from his mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it." it. The word of God cannot fail. The purpose of which God sent it. I was thinking of reading this passage and reminded me of a friend that I shared the gospel with so many times, and I just talked to him, and he just tuned me out and tuned me out. And we were good buddies, and he just kept tuning me out. And then years later, I found out he says, I saw him again. He says, You yeah, have a follower of Jesus now. And I'm like, Well, hello. What happened? He said, Yeah, all that time you're talking, telling me those verses, I was they were getting to me. <laughs> yeah, they were getting to him. It's the word of God is piercing the heart. Okay, so let me review for you. The Bible is God-breathed writings by spirit-moved writers. It is the truth. It is tr- the Word of God is trustworthy, reliable, perfect, priceless, and imperishable. The Bible has authority and power. The Bible will save the lost, grow the saved, protect against sin, cleanse the sinner, give us guidance, give us insight, give us understanding, give, give us love in our hearts, give us joy in our souls, give us peace in our minds, and give us hope to endure. And the Bible cannot be broken, cannot be destroyed, cannot be in error, and cannot fail. In light of all that, don't you think it ought to be read? Read. Don't you think it ought to be studied? Don't you think it ought to even be meditated on, thought about deeply? Let's turn to Psalm chapter chapter 1, and now we'll get to the message. That was all prelude. (laughs) Psalm chapter 1 says, How blessed is a man who does not walk, In the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now you could actually translate that, oh, how very happy is the person who doesn't do those things. In fact, you could translate it even more than that. The root of this verb here means to go forth or to advance or even to lead others in the way. One writer put it this way, I think he captures it, he says this. The psalmist here is describing one who is pressing on in a life of clearly set goals and purposes, an intentional, determined human being and somebody who is living on purpose. See, the psalmist is saying that you must decide, are you going to live your life by design on purpose deliberately, or are you going to live your life just adrift by default? In verse 1, the psalmist is saying what happens to the person who lives their life just adrift, who just lives their life by default. They end up in disaster. He runs through three different categories of what a life adrift or a life by default ends up uh, being like. He says, and he calls it living in the counsel of the wicked, first of all. Now, what does that mean? A person who's living just adrift, living by default, is going to end up living according to the counsel of the wicked. Now, a lot of times you think about the counsel of the wicked, you know, it's, in all actuality, we are being bombarded by the counsel of the wicked every day. I mean, every time we tune tune into most television programs and commercials and drive down the highway to the billboards we see, to the magazines you read, there is a, we're being bombarded by the counsel of the wicked. Of the wicked. And it's not so blatant that it says, disobey God today. I mean, it's not blatant like that. In fact, the word for sinners here in verse 1 actually is talking about people who miss the mark. That's the word for sinner here. They're, They're missing the mark, they're shooting at the wrong target. When it comes to life, their aim is off. What they pursue is off. They're aiming at the wrong thing, pursuing the wrong thing. What happens is is a lot of, of us can be, if we're not deliberate about making sure that we are looking at the right thing, then we can be swept up in this. If we are living a life adrift, we'll start aiming at the wrong thing, pursuing the wrong thing, living for the wrong thing too. I mean, how else can you account for society, which the family altar for the most part is the television set, the place of worship for the most part is the mall or the sports arena, The primary wisdom figures have become celebrities in People magazine who tell us how to live our lives. And the primary response to conflict is lawsuits. See, that is all the counsel of the wicked. And then he talks about the third category. He talks about sitting with the scoffers. You end up hanging out with them and you become a bit of a scoffer yourself. So what he's saying is, is, he's warning, don't do that. Don't live a life adrift. Don't live life by default. Be intentional. Be deliberate. Because nobody sits down and says, you know what, my goal is to, is to lead a mediocre life. You know, no, no couple gets married, and, and as they're, as they're you know, getting married, are are thinking about divorcing. They don't plan that. Nobody goes, walks into a bar and plans to become an alcoholic. You know, no one has kids and plans on being so busy they grow up as strangers. Nobody nurses a grudge and plans on becoming a bitter, resentful person. No one gets religious and plans on becoming judgmental and self-righteous. Nobody plans to go to hell. It just happens. See, given the inner condition of mankind, which is the fallen nature, depraved nature of mankind, and given the fallenness of the world, If we are not deliberate and intentional about making sure that we live by a certain design and discipline to live by, then we will drift into going after the wrong target. And that's the counsel of the wicked. And they will stand on the path of sinners and they will sit in the seat of scoffers. So he says, don't do that. Don't live life that way. In fact, here's how you have to live life. If you want to live life deliberately and uh, and, and aiming at the right thing, here's how you do it. Verse 2. Psalm 1, verse 2, but his delight, the one who's going to live on purpose now, by design, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Again, the counsel of the ungodly is so pervasive. Our only hope is to feed our minds on something different than that if we're going to do this thing right. And we've got to feed our minds on, dwell on the word of God. Now, he uses the word <clears throat> meditate here. The English translation is meditate, which, by the way, that word is used 58 times in the Old Testament. The English word here is the word used of, really described of a, of a cow chewing its cud. You kind of get that picture of really mulling it over. That cow is chewing his cud, you know, and he's kind of regurgitating and chewing it again. Regurgitating. You guys getting ready for lunch? <laughs> Regurgitate <laughs> And chewing it again. And he's assimilating it. He's digesting it. That's the picture here of meditation. It's it's not meant to be some esoteric, spooky thing reserved for gurus. It simply means that I'm going to give special attention to to this, that I might understand it. I'm mulling it over in my mind. I'm thinking about it. I'm talking to God about it. God's talking to me about it. It's chewing on it. You know, what the mind tends to repeat, it tends to retain. I can prove that to you. I'm going to start this line and you finish it for me. Sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port on board this tiny ship. That's in your head. That's Gilligan's Island and you still got it in your head. Now how did you retain that? Why did you retain that? I mean, you repeated it. It got repeated because you watched the show way too much. And that little ditty just got repeated over and over in your mind, and now you, you know it. And some people, um, some people meditate on the sports page. They meditate on the stock market figures. You fall in love. You meditate on your beloved. The question really isn't, are you going to meditate? The question is, what are you going to meditate on? You know, are you going to think about, what are you going to think about, how do you want to shape your life? Where do you want your life going? What are you aiming for? So if you live on drift, if you're just going to drift and you're going to fill your mind with stuff that's going to end up, you're going to end up in the ditch. But if you're going to fill your mind with the word of God and mull it over and talk to God about it and simulate it and live with purpose, you have a whole different life ahead of you. And I tell you what, I just my hope is that every one of us would just get to a place where we say, you know, say, you know, my mind's too valuable, my heart's too, too important that I'm going to just live on drift. I'm going to be deliberate and intentional about getting the Word of God in me. I'm going to read it over. I'm going to take those verses and I'm going to talk to myself about I'm going to talk to myself, the very Word of God, and I'm going to say them over and I'm going to talk to God about it. I'm going to meditate on it, think about it. And if you do, what's the result? psalmist tells us, here's the benefit of doing it. Psalm chapter one, verse three. And he, here's the result. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. So he says three results of those who decide to live by design, by meditating on the word of God, these three things will happen to you. Number one, you become a fruitful person. If you delight in the Word of God and meditate on it day and night, then you will become a fruitful person. You'll yield fruit. And we all know what fruitful people are like. Those are people that when you're around them, they just, they just give you life. I mean, you just feel like you're fed. You're encouraged. You go away being strengthened by them because they're fruitful. And if you want to be that kind of person, then meditate on the Word of God. You become a fruitful person. Be fruitful. Another thing is that you'll become a durable, durable person. Your leaf does not wither. Here, The point here is that when the, when the hot winds are blowing and the rain's not falling and all everyone else's leafs, leaf is withering, leaves are withering, you are like the tree planted by streams of water and your leaf does not wither. You're, there's a, you're durable. No matter what, when the tough things hit you and people are wondering why, you, why you're steady, Why are you steady? It's because the word of God is in you. You've meditated on it and you become like that leaf that does not wither because you're like that tree planted by streams of water. Habakkuk talks about, gives us a picture of that in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. He says this, though the fig tree does not blossom or the fruit, there be no fruit on the vines and the produce of the olive fail and the fields Yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Now that is durable, because the word of God is in him. And finally, the result will be, you will prosper. You will prosper. He says in verse 3, and whatever he does, he prospers. Now what does that mean? It means that if you delight in God's word and, and instead of walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers, then you're going to do the things, kind of things that God approves of. And you're going to walk under God's blessing. And under God's blessings, all kinds of prospering that happen. Also, when you delight in God's word, you're trusting in him. You're waiting on him. And again, when you, those who wait on the Lord, he comes through for. There's all kinds of blessing being poured out. But I need to point out that there are still times where someone who's walking with God will have hard times. Psalm 73, remember the psalmist says that he, he, he's kind of confused by the fact that he's seen the wicked prospering, and he's not. But then he understands something real important that we need to understand when he gets to verse 17 of Psalm 73. He says, he says then that he beholds what becomes of them, the wicked, in the end. And that's, what, that's where Psalm 1 goes to. Let's read the last part of Psalm 1, verse 4 and 5. The psalm says, The wicked are not so. They are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So when the psalmist ponders, he's pondering the value of seeing these wicked prosper, and he's struggling, and then it hits him. What hits him? What hits him is that there's the the picture of the judgment. When it comes to the time of the judgment, what's going to happen? What's going to happen forever? What's going to happen forever for the wicked is they're not going to prosper forever. They're being judged by God. What's going to happen for those who have walked righteously is they are going to be prospering forever and ever and ever. Let me say another word about meditation, meditating on the Bible, because the Hebrew word actually literally means to speak or or to mutter. The idea here is that you are speaking to yourself that passage, that verse. You're speaking to yourself. By the way, meditation is never empty in your mind. It is filling your mind with the Word of God. You are speaking to yourself the word of God night and day, and then you are speaking to God about his word, and God is speaking to you about that passage. Here's a picture I want you to keep in your mind. Imagine uh, a cup of hot, boiling hot water here, and I got a tea bag. I take that tea bag and I just dip it one time in that water and pull it out. What will you see? You'll see just a little bit, little bit of, of, of coloration coming in the, in the water, right? Just very light. But then I take that teabag and I dip it in and dip it in and dip it in four or five times to pull it out. Well, now it's getting a lot darker. Well, then I take that teabag and I just put it in there and let it sit. And I let it sit and soak and sit and then I finally pull it out. And now it is reddish brown all the way through. Well, here's the picture, I think. I think a lot of people, when you just read the scriptures, just, just a quick read through, it's like one dip of the teabag. And then if, you, if you're dipping it, you know, if, you really, if you're studying you Scriptures, spending more time trying to understand them and apply them, then it's like three or four dips. Now you're getting more and more of the color of the Word of God on you. But then you take that tea bag and just let it sit in there and soak. Now you're meditating on the Scriptures. Amen. Now it, it is just like that. It's changing the, the way that water looks. It is now dark. Now you are going to be changed by the Word of God because you're really taking it in and chewing on it. Have you ever wondered what an hour-by-hour walking in fellowship with God looks like? I'm going to tell you what I think it looks like. I think it is walking with God, and you've got His Word that you're meditating on, and you are speaking to Him about it, and He's speaking to you about it. And He's giving you illumination, and you're thinking of application, and you're speaking to Him about what you're going to do, and He's talking to you through this passage about what He wants you to do. And all this is happening, and, and you have desires changing in you. And you're, and you're, you're praying, and, and you're listening. And this is happening all through the day. I just really encourage you to find you know, passages that you'll just take. And I've done this many, many times. I, I just write down a verse that's, that really strikes me, and a three-by-five card, and I just take it with me. And I just take it out and read it and think about it. I put it in my visor or my car and take it out read it think about it. Talk to God about it. You know, Tracy and I, we have, we've taped these verses to the, to the mirror when, when I'm shaving or, or she's getting ready in the morning looking at them, thinking about them. And just, that's, that's Bible meditation. You are talking to yourself, these very, the very Word of God, and you're talking to God about it, and He's talking to you about it. I want to tell you a story before we close, and that is what uh, Tracy and I have uh, gone through this last uh, eight days. A week ago from yesterday, from Saturday, my daughter Chelsea was married down in Austin, and we just had just a fantastic time. But before I get to that, I need to back up a little bit. Because many of you have prayed for my mother who uh, had had struggled with stage four cancer for over two years, and God has just continued to answer all of her prayers. I remember two Christmases ago, I said, What are you praying for, Mom? She says, I want to be here for Christmas. I said, Let's pray for that. She was there that Christmas. And later on, I say, "What do you What are you praying for?" She says, "I want to be here for next Christmas." We prayed for that. She's there next Christmas. So last Christmas, we're praying, we're, we're together, and I say, "I say, well, what do you want next?" She says, "I want to be at Chelsea's wedding, Amen. January 20th." Now this was this was uh, December 27th, and she was having a lot of pain. I was thinking, "Okay, let's pray hard; she can make it Chelsea's wedding." We prayed and. It was getting closer and closer. And and she finally, it was time for the rehearsal dinner. And my sister and my aunt drove her over, drove her from Louisiana to Austin for the rehearsal dinner. She just bought a brand new red dress. She had red cowboy boots she got from the last time she was in Texas. (laughs) And she 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 was in a wheelchair, but she decided she wasn't going to be in a wheelchair for the rehearsal dinner, so she tried to walk in. Took a lot out of her. She's in a lot of pain. And she didn't really mention it and talk about it, but I could tell. Well that night they got her back to the hotel room and we were in the next room next to her and they got her to sleep and next morning it was wedding day. And Tracy's already off with Chelsea and her bridesmaids getting everything ready and I'm running errands and I went to check on my mom and she's in bed and she's in tremendous pain in the hospital. I mean in the in the hotel. And I said, You think you're gonna be able to to make it to the wedding? She says I'm going to this wedding. But she was in so such pain. And I said, okay, let's just try to rest. Let's pray that you can make it. Well, the wedding was at six o'clock. And we have got everybody ready for the processional, lined up. And we were going to have her specially brought in too with the other uh, grandmoms. And, and she was, uh, you know, she, she was late. And so here it is at six o'clock. I'm like, where is she? And they finally bring her around the corner because she's had such trouble making it there. And so I said, okay, okay, you're here. So it's a wilderness place. us forget the procession. Let's just get you somewhere. And we went through the whole wedding, and it was the most perfect wedding in history. <laughs> I'm a little partial. <laughs> but it was the most perfect wedding in history. It was wonderful. It was, it was one of the happiest moments of my life. And Tracy and I, we just, we just had such a great time uh, at our daughter's wedding. We were so blessed. And then we the re- came to the reception. And, I, and by the way, we had, there's a lot of non-Christians at the wedding. I got to share the gospel. And I had lots of spiritual conversations uh, afterward with, with people. It was, just, it was just a beautiful time, a festive time. And then during the reception, someone, you know, Tracy came to get me and said to my mom, needs me, and, and, w- and what happened is she had, she had, she had passed out in the bathroom, rest, restroom at the reception hall. She was actually you know, on the floor in the bathroom, and so I went and get her and put her back in her chair, and, and, and she was obviously in a lot of pain, and my aunt and my sister said, we're, we're going to take her right back to the hotel and see if she can rest, and I said, okay, but text me right away let me know. she's okay. And so they, they took her and they got her back to the hotel and they texted and said she's resting fine. So we enjoyed the rest of the reception, which by the way was the best reception in history. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the reception, we went back to the hotel, and as soon as we got back there late, my aunt comes and knocks and says, Gary, you gotta come. And my mother's again passed out on the bathroom floor this time. And this time we, 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 we did everything we could to do get her back because we could tell us we were losing her. I said, Come back, come back, mom, come back. And she looked at me. She finally came back and we got her in the bed. And she said, Is Chelsea married? I said, Yes, mom, you were there. She says, Good. And then we started losing her again. And it took a while to get her back one more time and got her to look in my eyes one more time. And Tracy's right there, her face is right there. And, and she looks up one more time and says, this is too hard. And then she goes. And she goes, clinging to Jesus, into his presence. And i, I tell you what, we, in the midst of going from one of the happiest moments of my life, in just a few hours, to one of the saddest moments of my life, I want you to know there were so many scriptures over the years that I meditated on that were running through my heart and mind. That I, There is an the undergirding of a full confidence in the goodness of God through it all. And God was good through it all. Another, just little little detail how good God was through it all. Not only did he give her her last request. She she just asked for one more thing. I want to be there for the wedding. She was there for the wedding and he took her home. But it wasn't until 1.30 Sunday morning, a.m. 1.30 a.m. last week, that she actually passed away. So it wasn't on the same date as my daughter's wedding. So it doesn't have to be the same anniversary day. I just saw so many details of the goodness of God. But my, my, my comfort, my strength, you know, our perspective, Tracy and mine, all came because of the, all the words, Word of God, that we had meditated on over the years. And I just thought when that was happening, I thought, I don't know how people go through this without really knowing Jesus and, knowing, and having the Word of God in their heart. And so I urge you guys, get, make it a practice of being delivered. Don't drift, don't live by default, but, but meditate on the Word of God day and night. And, just, and, just, and you'll become this person who is fruitful, a person who's durable, your leaf will not wither, and you will prosper. And I just felt the prosperity, blessing of the hand of God through it all. Yes. Yesterday we had a service in Louisiana yesterday afternoon and for my mom. And, and again, I just saw God, God gave us another opportunity, and I got to share the gospel again with everyone, she's, everyone that knew her in town and everyone that she worked with. And so just we need to have that if we want to have that kind of life of being fruitful, being sturdy, and being prosperous. So I want to give you an assignment before I close in prayer, and that is I want to encourage you to take this week 20 minutes again a day, and if, if that's not enough for you, take more. But I want to at least start with that. Take 10 minutes again using the Lord's Prayer as your prayer guide for 10 minutes, like we talked about two weeks ago. Then take 10 minutes and make, take Psalm 23 all week. Psalm 23 all week. There's six verses for the next six days, a verse a day. Each day, read the whole Psalm. It's very easy to read fast. And then take one verse with you. So you take tomorrow morning, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You leave tomorrow morning with that verse after you read the whole Psalm. And you think about it all throughout the day. The Lord, think of who you're talking about. The Lord is right now my personal shepherd. He's shepherding my life right now. How is he doing it? What is he doing? I shall not lack. I shall not want. Whatever is good for me, I'll have it. Whatever is good timing for me, that's when I'll have it. Amen. And you meditate on that and you think about where you are in life and you just have that verse. And the next day, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Okay, and you focus on that. And then he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And then the next day, he leads me on right paths for the good of his name. What path is you on right now? And how is he going to turn this for good for you and for his glory? He leads me on right paths for the good of his name. Even though I should walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, I fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Now you're thinking, that's me right now. I'm in that valley. And you think through that. But, but he's, there, he's there with me. He's leading me through this valley of darkness because he's taking me to higher ground. And you meditate on that. <clears throat> he prepares a, <clears throat> a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Yeah. Meditate on that. Surely goodness and mercy is like two sheepdogs hemming me in. Goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. And then that final day, final sixth day, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But just so take Psalm 23 and then take a verse a day and walk with it. Take it with you and think about it. Talk to God about it and see what God does in your life this week. It'll be powerful. Let's all stand for prayer. Before I close in prayer, I just want to remind you, if you need personal prayer, there will be some leaders up front that will be glad to pray for you. And also, we have Connection Coffee in the Corners. Any questions our staff can answer for you, they'll be available back there to answer those questions. And if you haven't taken the new members class at 5 o'clock today, please come. I look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the Word of God. We're so grateful, Lord, for for this great gift and all that it means to us. I just pray, Lord, that we become those who are hungry for your Word who will meditate on it day and night being careful to do all that's written in it. And Lord, I just pray that uh, this week you take Psalm 23, Lord, and just cause all of us to know more what it's like to walk with a good shepherd. Just the peace and the confidence and the joy, the perspective, and all the things that come with that. So Lord, we just ask you to do that. And I pray, Lord, that we we'd develop some habits during this period of and devotional life that none of us would recover from. We continue to do this the rest of our life. So, Lord, we just ask for you to dis- dismiss us with your blessing and use us to be the of the darkness people all week long. We pray in Jesus' name. and Everybody says, Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Have a great day, a great week.